It is good to see you all, good to be with you all. Thankful that we are here together to worship. I got to say, it is an encouragement being in the pulpit today, coming off a week of hearing Forrest faithfully preach the word a week ago. Um, If you were not here last week, I would encourage you to go online, uh, check out the website, go to the sermons, uh, most recent sermons, and I believe you'll find Forrest's sermon there. Uh, You should give that a listen. And if that is not good enough for you, then I would encourage you to call Forrest and Stephanie, perhaps invite them over to your home, serve them a wonderful dinner, and I would imagine he would walk you through Psalm 32 one more time. And so you could get that personal study with maybe even some additional notes he did not include in the sermon. Either way, Forrest, thank you, brother, for being so faithful to the word and for fulfilling uh, and filling the role of being in the pulpit so faithfully a week ago. So we are here this morning starting a new series today. We're going to be walking through 1 Corinthians together um, from now until the foreseeable future. And so let me uh, go ahead and let you know how this is going to go. Um, we are not going to wrap up 1 Corinthians five to six weeks from now. Uh, we are going to be here for a while. Okay, so just prepare yourself for that. Now, with that, I do want to let you know that we are also going to build in moments where we're going to come up for air out of 1 Corinthians, looking at some other stuff uh, with some other folks uh, fulfilling the pulpit and preaching in the pulpit. Uh, Forrest will be back up again. Corey will be back up a time or two as well. Uh, Probably more than a time or two. I'm just using that more as an expression. And so uh, we will have those opportunities. But if you are curious where we're going to be for a while, just know this. We are in 1 Corinthians, okay? And we're going to be here uh, for a good bit. And if you've read through 1 Corinthians, you're probably like, man, there is a lot to cover. No kidding. Um, And we are going to get through it and get through it together. And I think it's going to be a wonderful time. Now, as we walk through 1 Corinthians, my hope um, as we start this study together is that each and every week, we will begin to see some of our own shortcomings as Paul begins speaking to the Corinthian uh, Christians. And I hope that with each week, as we look at our own shortcomings, I hope that we also begin to see that as individuals, not just a collective body that is the church, but as individuals, we are now called collectively to be a holy nation, but within that, as individuals, we are now called to pursue holiness in all that we do. And so if you begin reading through 1 Corinthians, you're going to begin picking up on the fact that Paul writes a good bit on holiness throughout this letter as he writes to the church at Corinth. And from his writing, we're not only going to see him writing on holiness, but we're then going to see both the calling and the challenge that is found as we continue to to work out our faith and continue to grow in our own holiness. Now, before we dive into our text, I want to just give you a little background of what's happening as Paul is writing this letter. Now, Paul wrote this letter, we know, during his uh, three-year stint in Ephesus uh, during his third missionary journey. Now, Corinth, similar to Ephesus, was a wealthy port city that was rooted in pagan philosophy. It was rooted in pagan ideas. Idolatry, but due to its strategic uh, uh, area, its strategic location, uh, Corinth, similar to Ephesus, again, benefited both economically with the amount of trade that was coming through throughout the world, but also militarily uh, simply because of its location to land and water. And so uh, Corinth in Paul's day flourish. So for Paul, it only made sense for him to go to Corinth to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to ultimately then see a church planted there. And you can read all about that in Acts chapter 18. Now, at some point, 
While in Ephesus, Paul received word from Corinth of all that they were now dealing with. And so we don't know what exactly was said to Paul, but it could almost be uh, attributed to a, a list of questions, okay, is what he was given. And so what we have in 1 Corinthians is Paul now taking the time to address all those questions. And I got to tell you, it would be wonderful. And I don't know who this person is, but it would be wonderful if we kind of had a, a modern day Paul. I know a lot of people talk about modern day versions of Paul and they speak of it more in the missions mindset. But one of the things I think that gets lost in the shuffle is the discipleship element and the discipleship arm and Paul's ability to be able to, to receive a question, to discern what the meaning of the question is, and then and then distribute truth on, on that question. And so... I don't know who that person is today, but man, it would be nice to have a modern day Paul because I have a list of questions. I many, many of our churches would have a list of questions for him. And unfortunately, I think many of us would probably fall under conviction uh, if that fellow was around. But either way, Paul, again, writing to the church at Corinth for the purpose of seeing the church maintain unity. And ultimately, his hope for them is to see that unity maintained through the understanding of the call and the challenge that is given to each individual as they seek to strive and grow in their own holiness. So with that being said, let's read Paul's opening and see how he begins his writing with the understanding that as God's holy people, we are both now called and kept by God. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 1, and if you have found your place in the Word, and you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you were not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, as we see here in 1 Corinthians, like most of the Pauline letters uh, around it, this clearly begins with a, a message of greeting along with a message of thanksgiving. And as we dive into the text, I hope that as we continue to walk from this point forward, that we see the encouragement that Paul has for us today. But as we move on from here, I hope that we notice each week that Paul begins to address the issue of holiness and the issue of sanctification throughout the entirety of his letter. You you see, for Paul, the Corinthian Christians are God's holy people. 
Thus, what Paul is doing in writing to the Corinthian Christians is he's seeking to challenge the people to now live up to the call that has now been placed upon their life. And at the same time, what Paul is going to do is he's going to begin to confront many of their issues and remind them that they are no longer alone in this world as believers. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, Paul does this for multiple reasons. First, because Paul doesn't want the believers to become, become puffed up and begin to, to beat their chests as the only ones that matter. So what we're going to see Paul do as we get a little later in the letter is he's going to begin to, to really squelch the sin of pride. And at the same time, he, he writes to them, reminding them that they are not alone so that they don't fall into the trap of thinking this way. Because of the amount of grief and the hurt and the heartache that we are now going through, clearly, We're the only ones dealing with this mess. No one around us knows what we're going through. No one around us understands what it's like to be in our position. No one cares. And therefore, we are alone. Now, if you have read through 1 Corinthians at any point in time, you may be looking upon this letter and thinking to yourself, man, with all the things that Paul is about to address with the church... This church really didn't deserve a thanksgiving. I mean, why was Paul even thanking the church to begin with? In fact, as we begin to unpack this letter, particularly when we get in around uh, chapter 6, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you around chapter 12 and 13 and 14, like things are going to get really hard, and they're going to get really messy. And you might get to that point as you continue to read and say, why did Paul even thank them to begin with at the beginning of chapter 1? Well, I want us to pay attention to what Paul is saying when he thanks them. You see, Paul uses the thanksgiving to celebrate God's grace that is now in their midst. Notice that the emphasis is actually on the grace of God and and not on the work of the people. So as the text will continue, Paul is going to use the Thanksgiving section to remind the believers that not only are they now called by God that we see in the greeting, but when we get into the Thanksgiving, he's going to remind them that they are now kept by God with the same grace that God will continue to sustain them in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But before we get to the part where we are now kept by God, let's first explore that the believers, according to Paul, are first called by God. Look with me again at verses 1 through 3. Paul again says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and to our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place Call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how Paul opens with his own introduction and his own calling. He says to us, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, as he typically does in most, if not all, of his letters. Notice how Paul opens by affirming the authority of his own call to be an apostle. Now, when Paul does this, he's actually referencing back to his own conversion that we can read about in Acts chapter 9. Now, it was in that moment that that Jesus appeared to Paul after the resurrection, after the ascension. He appears to Paul on the Damascus Road, and he calls Paul to continue to preach, or better yet, to preach the gospel for the first time to the Gentiles. And so by the time we get to to verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul's literally saying, all that I have done, 
All that I have preached, my call itself, it is all by, for, and because of the will of God. I do what I do because it is God who has called me to it. We then see in the text that Paul mentions another brother. He says, our brother Sosthenes. Now, most scholars agree that this was the same person mentioned in Acts chapter 18, who was the the leader of the church at Corinth at that time, who was beaten by the Jews in front of the tribunal. Now, Paul mentions him here as a brother, or better yet, as a fellow believer and not as an apostle, thus distinguishing the difference between the two. However, let's pay attention that the mention of Sosthenes, the leader of the church, means that what Paul has written was not only written according to the will of God, but now the leader of the Corinthian church agrees with what it is that now Paul writes. Thus, in one verse, Paul has established the weight and the authority upon which he writes. Therefore, as a recipient of the letter, the Corinthian Christians can now say and affirm that the words of this letter, the contents and the context of this letter should be believed in its entirety. Now verse 2, Paul continues and he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. Now again, if you're one of those folks that underlines or, or highlights anything in your Bible, the word together is important here. In fact, I would say like box that word off, all right? Because that's one of the most important words that we have. Because here in this text, clearly we see who the audience is. It's the gathered body of believers, the members of the local church in the city of Corinth. And Paul says that they are together. Ultimately, what Paul is doing is he's proving that the local church in this moment being together is not alone in what it is that they're going through. And so what Paul is doing in this, in this moment of talking about their call is he's encouraging them by saying that, listen, you are just a microcosm. You are just a small part of a much bigger picture that is the universal church under Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Now for us, this should be important because at this point, we should now see the need as members of the universal church under Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, that we as believers in Christ are now called to be a part of the local church. In other words, you can't have one without the other. It's just not possible. But notice how Paul then goes on from there and he calls the believers sanctified. He says that they are called to be saints. In other words, they're called to be a holy people. Paul teaches that in spite of their many problems, they are still a people who are sanctified, or better yet, they are a people who are set apart by Christ Jesus our Lord. Now again, Paul uses the word called here. A word that that doesn't mean that an invitation has been made that can be refused. Rather, what Paul is acknowledging here is he's saying, I am writing to you, Corinthian Christians, Those who are the people of God. You are the holy nation. You are the holy people of God because of Jesus Christ. Notice that Paul is literally saying to the church at this point, it is God through Christ who has done the work of salvation. You did nothing. It was Christ who did the work. You are not alone. 
because the same Christ who did a work in you is also working in other people. So brothers and sisters, pay attention to what Paul is saying at this point. We have now been called by God through Christ. We have done nothing to earn our salvation. We have done nothing to earn the call. We could not refuse the call as the Lord revealed himself to us. And so the grace of God is upon us because of Jesus Christ. Thus, we are not God's people because of our own merit. We are not God's people because of our own good or the good that we perceive that we can do or think that we can do. No, we, we are like the Corinthian Christians. We are the problem children. Now, again, you may be looking at this going, Pastor, I don't see where they're problem children. Chapter 2 is coming. Okay? We're not even going to get there yet, by the way, and then we're going to see the problems. Okay? We are the problem children, and yet here we stand according to Paul, and here we worship according to Paul, because we are the ones who have been called by God. Now, coming back to the text, just to keep the pride in check for the Corinthian Christians and to help them see that they are not alone in this world, Paul continues with this word together, and he says, together with those who are in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul teaches that the church was not alone in their worship. The church was not alone in their struggle, so we couldn't just puff up our chest and say, look at us and how amazing and how awesome and how wonderful we are. Paul Paul was literally saying, look, you're not the only ones doing it. There are other believers out there. Are you struggling? Well, guess what? There are other believers who are struggling. Are you in pain? Guess what? There are other believers in pain. You are not alone. You're not alone in your confusion. You know, I want to say to you, this is, this is why everything that we do here at Southside has meaning, okay? I don't know if you've, if you've kind of picked up on that yet, but everything we do in a morning service, there's intent behind what we do, all right? Let me just explain it, okay? We do announcements at the beginning because that's the unintentional fun ha-ha because I never know how you guys are going to respond to the announcements, okay? It's a surprise every week, and all I pray is, Lord, give me wisdom on how to help understand what's about to happen. And even when it's a crazy vote of, hey, your pastor's going to watch your kids from this point forward forevermore, okay? All right? So we get that out of the way. We do that first, right? Have a good time. It's a good fellowship. Then what happens from there is we get into worship, and what do we do? We worship. Our pastor, Pastor Corey, picks music based on what? The Word of God. We read scriptures based on what? The Word of God. We pray the way we do with the elders praying, and how do they build their prayers based on what? the word of God. We enter and exit through red doors. Why? Because we like the color red. No, because we want to be reminded of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. How it's because of Jesus Christ we were able to enter into worship, and when we leave this place, we leave on mission for Christ, not because we're amazing, but because of what Jesus did for us. Now let me break it down to the simplest point. This is also the reason why we begin the sermons with a pastoral prayer. That's what that part's called when I come up here and pray. It doesn't mean that it's fancy. It doesn't mean that it's catchy. Well, clearly the pastor's praying, therefore it's the pastoral prayer. No, what we do during that time, if you've noticed, is we, we as a church commit to praying for other churches in our area. Why? Because Paul says it. Because we are together in this. 
We commit to other churches in our area. We commit to, to praying for God to be, to be glorified in these like-minded churches. We pray for God to be glorified as they gather for worship. We pray for God to be glorified as they, as they faithfully serve the, the community that they've been called to. And then here's the beauty of it. The same folks that we pray for each and every week, either that week or the week after or the week before, they pray for us as well. And why do we do it? Because we want God to be glorified and we want to be reminded that as a church, we are in this together. Can I just tell you something? Tampa's not going to be reached by one church. Tampa's going to be reached, first of all, by Jesus Christ. Stop. Okay, hard stop there. But what it's going to take is multiple like-minded churches working together for the glory of God. And that's what we are called to. And so Paul reminds the church that we are in this together. So why does it matter, Corinthian Christians? So that you will remember that we are not alone in what we go through. We are not alone in how we worship. Now, coming back to the text, as God's chosen people, chosen by God, called by God, we see that now we can call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says that we can do this in prayer and in worship. And then here's the good news. We do it together. In other words, together, we join with like-minded churches all over our area and praying to our great God. Together, we join with like-minded churches in worshiping our great God. I mean, literally what we're doing is, is really, I hate to use this phrase, but it sounds kind of cliche, but it's, it's heaven practice for what's to come, right? Like we know when we get to heaven, there's not gonna be like a South Side section, right? That's gonna be awkward right? Want to be? It's going to be like, hey, the Southsiders are here and, and, and Edgar and his folks are over here and Kurt and his people are over there. Now, that's not how this thing's going to break down. It's just not going to break down that way. Thanks be to God, you, you won't have to hear me preach anymore. What a great day that'll be, right? Hey, who said amen? I heard you, Rick Emmerich. That was you. I got an elder sitting behind you. He just pointed you out. Coming back to the text, Paul, notice what happens here. Before we move on, verse, getting through verse 2. Realize, Christians, today that we're not alone. We're not alone in our worship. We're not alone in our prayers. We're not alone in our frustrations. We're not alone in our struggles. There are churches around us who are like us, who love us, who pray for us. And guess what? They're experiencing the same things. And all of us collectively together, here's the affirmation, all of us can collectively together call upon the name of the Lord. Why? Because we were the ones who have been called by God. So praise be to God that we have been called by God. And at the same time, we rest in knowing that we are not alone when we call upon him for help and when we call upon upon him to continue to sanctify us as he continues to work out our salvation. But then notice where Paul goes from here. He continues. Verse 3, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here is where Paul includes probably one of his most common prayers that we see for all believers as Paul writes. Grace and peace. Now grace, again, to remind you, is not just the unmerited favor of God at this point, but rather for Paul in speaking to the Corinthians, he's now referring to grace as God's transforming power in the life of the believer, which is rooted in the steadfast love of God. He then follows that with the word peace, which always follows grace because it's the result of the grace of God on our lives that has been given to us by God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So notice what Paul has done in his introduction. Every word has intent. He shows us both the gifts that have been given to us, the fact that we are now called by God, and at the same time, he shows us that Jesus now shares the same status as God because it's Christ who is the one who played out the grace of God and is the peace that we now have because of the crucifixion and resurrection. In other words, Paul is giving a subtle nudge to the deity of Jesus Christ, which, oh, by the way, spoiler alert, is one of the questions that Paul is going to have to address at least twice as we walk through this letter. So notice the intent that is there. Pointing, not just a hello, I'm Paul, but hello, I'm Paul. And let me tell you, Jesus Christ is real. He is real. He is the Son of God. He was there with God from the beginning. But not only that, that same Jesus is the one who gave you grace, who gave you peace. And he gave it to you to remind you that all of us have now been called by God. So again, brothers and sisters, here's the affirmation that's coming from Paul in these first three verses. We, like Corinthian Christians, are a mess. And yet we are called by the will of God as those who are now set apart by the grace of God so that now we can call upon the name of God, which should ultimately lead us to peace that comes from knowing Jesus, who is our Savior and Lord. All that from an introduction. I'm just curious. How many of us can unpack that much about God and just an introduction of who we are. But that's exactly what Paul does here. Man, what an assurance that we are now given in the midst of our own messy lives. So let me encourage you, brothers and sisters in Christ, do not forget who you are. You are called by God. So notice now that this introduction now leads us to the thanksgiving uh, that he gives to the people in which we now see that we are not only called by God, but we are now kept by God as well. Look with me again in verses 4 through 9. Paul writes, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Powerful words coming from Paul as we get into this thanksgiving. Now, again, normally when Paul gives us a thanksgiving, uh, this is really where he thanks God and his prayers for the faith of those he is writing to. But notice Paul kind of takes a different turn with this. He actually says in verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you. Why? Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Notice that Paul here is stressing what it is that God has done for the believers. He's literally saying to him, listen, I am thankful to God that by his grace, he revealed himself to you. And he didn't just reveal himself to you, but it's by his grace that you are now kept in him. And again, none of this was your own doing. Now, don't miss what Paul is saying here. Paul is, is not describing the relationship with Jesus Christ as some sort of simple free gift like a handout you get at the mall. You know what I'm talking about? 
You know that store you always walk by in the mall and there's that person that's standing out in the store and they're, they're trying to hand you like a packet of cream or something and they always say this to you? They say, well, maybe they just say this to me. They're like, hey, man, you've got a really beautiful face, but if you put this cream on, it'll fix the ugly. Like, you know what I'm talking about? And then they try to entice you into their store. You know those folks? That, by the way, I've tried it. It doesn't help. I mean, literally, that's what Paul is talking about here. He's like, listen, this is not some sort of free handout. Rather, what's happening in your life is God, with his transforming power that is at work in us, was given to us by the gracious gift of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, again, why would Paul want to point that out? Because he's seeking to root out pride in the lives of the believers. And so Paul says to them, He says in verse 5 that as believers, you have been enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Notice here that Paul teaches the believers that they are now spiritually rich because they have been given the clear understanding of the gospel, both spoken to them and the full knowledge of of the gospel and what it is that Christ has done as they continue to study more about it. In other words, Paul reminds the church that they are being kept by God Because of the spiritual richness of the gospel. Because of the spiritual richness of the gospel that is at work in their lives. And this is a gift that cannot be taken. And it's a gift that overflows and runs over in abundance. So just just in verse 5 alone, let's just just hear this, this news for a minute. No amount of bad news or heartache or or pride should ever allow us to think that we are on empty. I gotta tell you, I struggle with this one at times. Because I I hear people and I hear their hurts and I hear their heartaches. And and man, for many of you guys, I'd give anything, all of you guys, I should say, I would give anything to take that hurt and heartache away from you. And so sometimes as your pastor, I run on empty. Yesterday was one of those days. My wife will testify to it. She was like, you're running on empty. Like you either need to pray, read, or go away. I'm not sure which. I think she was hoping for all the above for a moment. But the reality is this. We are never on empty. In a world that seeks to divide us, we are still unified in the wonder and the richness of the gospel. Even when we disagree as as brothers and and sisters in Christ, as a part of the family of God, which, oh, by the way, can we just start talking about life more like this? We we tend to compartmentalize our lives a little bit too much. We talk about work life and then family life and then church life. Can we fix that? Can we just talk about all this is, first of all, enamored and wrapped in the fact that we all belong to Jesus Christ, so the gospel should be interwoven and all this stuff? But can we just talk about it this way? There's work life and then there's family life, okay? Let's stop separating our family. Okay? Yeah, there's the family that lives in your house, but then there's your church family as well. They're still family. We're in this together. So even as a family, when we disagree, the truth that Paul teaches is that we can always come back to the starting point of the fact that we are united in the gospel. So if you find yourself disagreeing with someone, you find yourself hurt by someone, heartache, some sort, of, some sort of issue that you're about to go address with another, another brother or sister in Christ. And even if, if you get to that point, don't, don't do what most people do and say, well, we're just gonna have to agree to disagree. No, stop that. Stop that. Because here's what happens. You forget the fact that the foundational truth still stands. And that is this. We are still unified in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And on that, we do not disagree. 
Now again, we know this because verse 5, 6, and 7 actually tie together. Look at verse 6. It says, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. In other words, Paul says of the gifts that we now have, our ability to faithfully serve, our ability to be able to worship is due solely, again, to the gospel, the foundational truth that is and should be evident in our lives as we faithfully live and serve according to the word of God. Now again, Paul is reminding the Christians that this work in their lives is all because of Christ. And then he's not done. He goes on to verse 7 and he says, so that you are not lacking in any gift. Now here's the the important truth from verse 5, 6, and 7. You see, the church was under persecution in Corinth. Outside entities were doing everything they could to destroy the church. And then at the same time, here's what was happening. Inside the church, division was beginning to happen and the church was beginning to split. And so naturally, like every other person, they began to question. They began to feel that that something was lacking. They began to to think, man, maybe maybe something should be done different. Maybe, Maybe something more is needed at this point. And then this is what Paul says. He literally says, no. He says, no. He says, because you are enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, which is in the testimony about Jesus Christ, which was confirmed upon you, no, you lack nothing. There is no gift that is missing from you because the grace of God has been lavished upon you. Now you may think, man, where does this play out in my life? Let me tell you where it plays out. Stop looking at God and saying that all the horrible things that happen in your life is because of your sin. Stop. Because what you're saying in that moment is the grace of God is not enough. Stop saying that. And that's what Paul says to the church. He says, listen, remember this. In the midst of your heartache, in the midst of your hurt, even in the midst of division that's coming from within, remember that you lack nothing because of the power of the gospel. You see, it's God that has kept us according to the word. I remember a dear friend of mine, mentor in my life for a short period, a man by the name of Jake Gulledge who was incredible. Man, I wish Jake would be here today just so you can hear this brother's heart. He just was very in tune to people, sweet to people. He kind of just had a great gift of discernment and just could tell when pastors were hurting and and just could speak in their life. Jake has been gone, called to glory six years ago. And literally, we were just reminded of the anniversary of his death this past week. And I was reminded as I was praying for uh, Denise and Samuel, their family, and, and thinking about my friend Jake, I remember some of his last words that he said to me, which is a word that he repeated often. He would say this. He would say, no matter where you find yourselves, whether you're celebrating the highest of lies or you're celebrating, you're crying at the lowest of lows, sometimes all you need to do, sometimes all you can do, it's very simple. You just worship. And I think Paul is saying the same thing to the church when he says, listen, you are not lacking in anything. There's nothing wrong here. You just need to worship. You see, here's the truth. If we get caught up listening to the noise around us, and if our Christian faith does not make a difference in the way we live and act, then I think there are legitimate grounds for questioning whether or not we have truly heard and responded to the gospel at all. 
And so as brothers and sisters in Christ, I believe this word is important for us to hear because as a church, man, could we do things better around here? I mean, yeah, sure. There's some things that need to be fixed up around here. We get it. Is there wholesale change needed? Should we begin to look more like the church down the street? And so what we do in the midst of our hurt and our heartache, in the midst of our own sin, we begin to play the comparison game? The answer is no. And so if you find yourself in those moments, if you find yourself coming in, dealing with heartache, dealing with frustration, dealing with questions, can I just encourage you for a moment? Just show up and worship. Just do the simple thing right. Just show up and worship. Be reminded that God is doing a good work and let God finish what he has started in your life. Live by faith and let the gospel do the work. And then notice where we go from here, verse eight and nine, and here's where we'll close. Paul says, who will sustain you? Lord Jesus is who he's talking about. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then one of our favorite phrases that we've talked about so often in the beginning of verse 9, he says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Pay attention to the fact that these last two verses actually point us to the future work of God. We see that it's God who will sustain us to the end. It is God who will, who will be the one who sanctifies us to the point that we are now guiltless. In other words, the God who began the work in us is going to see it all the way through to completion. And not only is he going to see it through completion, but by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, we are going to one day stand before God blameless. And again, that's because of the wonderful work of Christ. So notice how Paul emphasizes that for those who remain faithful to God, they will continue to persevere to the end because they recognize it's God who has kept them. It's God who upholds them. And then notice verse 9, Paul closes by saying, and the one who called you to him, that one is faithful. You see, because of God's faithfulness, we are now able to partner together with Christ by the gospel. Thus, we are now called to participate in the sharing of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel reveals that not only are we now called by God, but according to God that we read about here in Paul's words, we are now kept by God. It's like John Piper wrote once. He said, what happened to make you a Christian is the call of God. What will happen to keep you a Christian is the faithfulness of God. Know who you are. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you know who you are? In the midst of this word of encouragement, do you know who you are called to? Better yet, do you know the one who now keeps you and holds you? I think knowing the answers to these questions will help lay the foundation of the fact that we are a people who are now called to holiness. And so Paul opens his letter with a good reminder of who we truly are. And I think that this portion of the letter was meant to be an encouragement in order to set the table to remind us that we are a holy people. So here's what I want to close with. I want to encourage you that as we continue to walk through this letter, and by the way, we're going to get into some hard topics as we walk through this letter. There's going to be some challenging texts. 
And it's going to be real quick to say, man, I feel like I'm getting picked on. Uh, We just call that conviction according to the word. So let's stay there. But if you get to that point where you're beginning to feel and sense that that conviction, I want you to keep chapter 1, verses 1 through 9 in mind as we move on from here. Because you see, with, with every step, with every call, with every challenge that's going to come from Paul here in 1 Corinthians, we can look back to verses 1 through 9 and be reminded of our conviction that we are called by God. In other words, God is the one who did the work. God is the one who called us to himself. God is the reason why we are here. God is why we can worship. And God is why we can call out to him. At the same time, as we walk through this letter, as we begin to see more and more of the challenge that comes with being a holy people, Let's not only remember the call, but let's turn back to this passage and now see that we're not only called by God, but we're now kept by God. In other words, it is God who is the one who holds us. It is by faith that we are now saved and not our own doing, not our own works. It is God who has now given us by his grace fellowship with him. And because of God, we lack nothing. Because as Paul says, we are enriched by the gospel which was given to us by his grace. And as Paul closes in verse 9, he does all of this because he is faithful. And now we see Paul set the tone for why there is a standard. As God's people, we are called and we are challenged to holiness. And it all begins with the truth that we are called and kept by God. To God be the glory for his call. To God be the glory that he sustains and we are kept by him. Let's pray together. May your glory know.